Chapter Twenty of Ruth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell. Chapter Twenty. Jemima refuses to be managed. It was no wonder that the lookers-on were perplexed as to the state of affairs between Jemima and Mr. Farquhar, for they too were sorely puzzled themselves at the sort of relationship between them. Was it love, or was it not? That was the question in Mr. Farquhar's mind. He hoped it was not. He believed it was not, and yet he felt as if it were. There was something preposterous, he thought, in a man nearly forty years of age, being in love with a girl of twenty. He had gone on reasoning, through all the days of his manhood, on the idea of a staid, noble-minded wife, grave and sedate, the fit companion in experience of her husband. He had spoken with admiration of reticent characters full of self-control and dignity, and he hoped, he trusted, that all this time he had not been allowing himself unconsciously to fall in love with a wild-hearted, impetuous girl, who knew nothing of life beyond her father's house, and who chafed under the strict discipline enforced there. For it was rather a suspicious symptom of the state of Mr. Farquhar's affections, that he had discovered the silent rebellion which continued in Jemima's heart, unperceived by any of her own family, against the severe laws and opinions of her father. Mr. Farquhar shared in these opinions, but in him they were modified and took a milder form. Still, he approved of much that Mr. Bradshaw did and said, and this made it all the more strange that he should wince so for Jemima whenever anything took place which he instinctively knew that she would dislike. After an evening at Mr. Bradshaw's, when Jemima had gone to the very verge of questioning or disputing some of her father's severe judgments, Mr. Farquhar went home in a dissatisfied, restless state of mind, which he was almost afraid to analyze. He admired the inflexible integrity, and almost the pomp of principle, evinced by Mr. Bradshaw on every occasion. He wondered how it was that Jemima could not see how grand a life might be, whose every action was shaped in obedience to some eternal law, instead of which he was afraid she rebelled against every law, and was only guided by impulse. Mr. Farquhar had been taught to dread impulses as promptings of the devil. Sometimes, if he tried to present her father's opinion before her in another form, so as to bring himself and her rather more into that state of agreement he longed for, she flashed out upon him with the indignation of difference that she dared not show to or before her father as if she had some diviner instinct which taught her more truly than they knew, with all their experience. At least, in her first expressions, there seemed something good and fine. But opposition made her angry and irritable. 
and the arguments which he was constantly provoking, whenever he was with her in her father's absence, frequently ended in some vehemence of expression on her part that offended Mr. Falkerhaw, who did not see how she expiated her anger in tears and self-reproaches when alone in her chamber. Then he would lecture himself severely on the interest he could not help feeling in a willful girl. He would determine not to interfere with her opinions in future, and yet, the very next time they differed, he strove to argue her into harmony with himself, in spite of all resolutions to the contrary. Mr. Bradshaw saw just enough of this interest which Jemima had excited in his partner's mind to determine him in considering their future marriage as a settled affair. The fitness of the thing had long ago struck him. Her father's partner, so the fortune he meant to give her might continue in the business, a man of such steadiness of character, and such a capital eye for a desirable speculation as Mr. Farquhar, just the right age to unite the paternal with the conjugal affection, and consequently the very man for Jemima, who had something unruly in her, which might break out under a regime less wisely adjusted to the circumstances than was Mr. Bradshaw's, in his own opinion a house ready furnished at a convenient distance from her home, no near relations on Mr. Farquhar's side, who might be inclined to consider his residence as their own for an indefinite time, and so add to the household expenses. In short, what could be more suitable in every way? Mr. Bradshaw respected the very self-restraint he thought he saw in Mr. Farquhar's demeanour, attributing it to a wise desire to wait until trade should be rather more slack, and the man of business more at leisure to become the lover. As for Jemima, at times she thought she almost hated Mr. Farquhar. "'What business has he,' she would think, "'to lecture me? Often I can hardly bear it from Papa, and I will not bear it from him. He treats me just like a child, and—' as if I should lose my present opinions when I know more of the world. I am sure I should like never to know the world, if it was to make me think as he does, hard man that he is. I wonder what made him take Jem Brown on as a gardener again, if he does not believe that above one criminal in a thousand is restored to goodness. I'll ask him some day if that was not acting on impulse rather than principle. Poor impulse! How do you get abused? But I will tell Mr. Farquhar. I will not let him interfere with me. If I do what papa bids me, no one has a right to notice whether I do it willingly or not. So then she tried to defy Mr. Farquhar by doing and saying things that she knew he would disapprove. She went so far that he was seriously grieved, and did not even remonstrate and lecture. And then she was disappointed and irritated, for somehow, with all her indignation at interference, she liked to be lectured by him. Not that she was aware of this liking of hers, but still it would have been more pleasant to be scolded 
then so quietly passed over. Her two little sisters, with their wide-awake eyes, had long ago put things together and conjectured. Every day they had some fresh mystery together, to be imported in garden walks and whispered talks. "'Lizzie, did you see how the tears came into Mimi's eyes when Mr. Farquhar looked so displeased when she said good people were always dull? I think she's in love.' Mary said the last words with grave emphasis, and felt like an oracle of twelve years of age. "'I don't,' said Lizzie. "'I know I cry often enough when Papa is cross, and I'm not in love with him.' "'Yes, but you don't look as Mimi did. Don't call her Mimi. You know Papa does not like it. Yes, but there are so many things Papa does not like I can never remember them all. Never mind about that, but listen to something I've got to tell you, if you'll never, never tell. No, indeed I won't, Mary. What is it? Not to Mrs. Denby? No, not even to Mrs. Denby. Well, then, the other day, last Friday, Mimi— Jemima, interrupted the more conscientious Elizabeth. Jemima, if it must be so, jerked out Mary, sent me to her desk for an envelope, and what do you think I saw? What? asked Elizabeth, expecting nothing else than a red-hot valentine signed Walter Farquhar, pro Bradshaw, Farquhar, and company in full. Why, a piece of paper with dull-looking lines upon it, just like the scientific dialogues, and I remember all about it. It was once when Mr. Farquhar had been telling us that a bullet does not go in a straight line, but in a something curve, and he drew some lines on a piece of paper, and Mimi, Jemima, put in Elizabeth. Well, well, she had treasured it up and written in corner, W.F., April 3rd. Now, that's rather like love, is it not? For Jemima hates useful information just as much as I do and that's saying a great deal, and yet she had kept this paper and dated it. If that's all, I know Dick keeps a paper with Miss Benson's name written on it, and yet he's not in love with her, and perhaps Jemima may like Mr. Farquhar, and he may not like her. It seems such a little while since her hair was turned up, and he has always been a grave middle-aged man ever since I can recollect, and then— have you never noticed how often he finds fault with her, almost lectures her? To be sure, said Mary, but he may be in love for all that. Just think how often papa lectures mamma, and yet, of course, they're in love with each other. Well, we shall see, said Elizabeth. Poor Jemima little thought of the four sharp eyes that watched her daily course while she sat alone as she fancied, with her secret in her own room. For, in a passionate fit of grieving, at the impatient, hasty temper which had made her so seriously displeased Mr. Farquhar that he had gone away without remonstrance, without more leave-taking than a distant bow, she had begun to suspect that, rather than not be noticed at all by him, rather than be an object of indifference to him, oh! Far rather would she be an object of anger and upbraiding, and the thoughts that followed this confession to herself stunned and bewildered her. 
for once that they made her dizzy with hope ten times they made her sick with fear for an instant she planned to become and to be all he could wish her to change her very nature for him and then a great gush of pride came over her and she set her teeth tight together and determined that he should either love her as she was or not at all unless he could take her with all her faults she would not care for his regard love was too noble a word to call such cold calculating feeling as his must be who went about with a pattern idea in his mind trying to find a wife to match besides there was something degrading jemima thought in trying to alter herself to gain the love of any human creature and yet if he did not care for her if this late indifference were to last what a great shroud was drawn over life could she bear it from the agony she dared not look at but which she was going to risk encountering she was aroused by the presence of her mother jemima your father wants to speak to you in the dining-room what for asked the girl oh he is fidgeted by something mr farquhar said to me and which i repeated i am sure i thought there was no harm in it and your father always likes me to tell him what everybody says in his absence jemima went with a heavy heart into her father's presence he was walking up and down the room and did not see her at first oh jemima is that you has your mother told you what i want to speak to you about no said jemima not exactly she has been telling me what proves to me how very seriously you must have displeased and offended mr farquhar before he could have expressed himself to her as he did when he left the house you know what he said no said jemima her heart swelling within her he has no right to say anything about me she was desperate or she durst not have said this before her father no right what do you mean jemima said mr bradshaw turning sharp round surely you must know that i hope he may one day be your husband that is to say if you prove yourself worthy of the excellent training i have given you i cannot suppose mr farquhar would take any undisciplined girl as a wife jemima held tight by a chair near which she was standing she did not speak her father was pleased by her silence it was the way in which he liked his projects to be received but you cannot suppose he continued that mr farquhar will consent to marry you consent to marry me repeated jemima in a low tone of brooding indignation were those the terms upon which her rich woman's heart was to be given with a calm consent of acquiescent acceptance but a little above resignation on the part of the receiver if you give way to a temper which although you have never dared to show it to me i am well aware exists although i hope the habits of self-examination i had instilled had done much to cure you of manifesting it at one time richard promised to be the more headstrong of the two now i must desire you to take pattern by him yes he continued falling to into his old train of thought 
it would be a most fortunate connection for you in every way i should have you under my own eye and could still assist you in the formation of your character and i should be at hand to strengthen and confirm your principles mr farquhar's connection with the firm would be convenient and agreeable to me in a pecuniary point of view he mr bradshaw was going on in his enumeration of the advantages which he in particular and jemima in the second place would derive from this marriage when his daughter spoke at first so low that he could not hear her as he walked up and down the room with his creaking boots and he had to stop to listen has mr farquhar ever spoken to you about it jemima's cheek was flushed as she asked the question she wished that she might have been the person to whom he had first addressed himself mr bradshaw answered no not spoken it has been implied between us from for some time at least i have been so aware of his intentions that i have made several allusions in the course of business to it as a thing that might take place he can hardly have misunderstood he must have seen that i perceived his design and approved of it said mr bradshaw rather doubtfully as he remembered how very little in fact passed between him and his partner which could have reference to the subject to any but a mind prepared to receive it perhaps mr farquhar had not really thought of it but then again that would imply that his own penetration had been a mistaken a thing not impossible certainly but quite beyond the range of probability so he reassured himself and as he thought his daughter by saying the whole thing is so suitable the advantages arising from the connection are so obvious besides which i am quite aware from many little speeches of mr farquhar's that he contemplates marriage at no very distant time and he seldom leaves eccleston and visits few families besides our own certainly none that compare with ours in the advantages you have all received in moral and religious training but then mr bradshaw was checked in his implied praises of himself and only himself could be his martingale when he once set out on such a career by a recollection that jemima must not feel too secure as she might become if he dwelt too much on the advantages of her being her father's daughter accordingly he said but you must be aware jemima that you do very little credit to the education i have given you when you make such an impression as you must have done to-day before mr farquhar could have said what he did of you what did he say asked jemima still in the low husky tone of suppressed anger your mother says he remarked to her what a pity it is that jemima cannot maintain her opinions without going into a passion and what a pity it is that her opinions are such as to sanction rather than curb these fits of rudeness and anger did he say that said jemima in a still lower tone not questioning her father but speaking rather to herself i have no doubt he did replied her father gravely your mother is in the habit of repeating accurately to me what takes place in my absence besides which the whole speech is not one of hers 
she has not altered a word in the repetition i am convinced i have trained her to habits of accuracy very unusual in a woman at another time jemima might have been inclined to rebel against this system of carrying constant intelligence to headquarters which she had long ago felt as an insurmountable obstacle to any free communication with her mother but now her father's means of acquiring knowledge faded into insignificance before the nature of the information he imparted she stood quite still grasping the chair back longing to be dismissed i have said enough now i hope to make you behave in a becoming manner to mr farquhar if your temper is too unruly to be always under your own control at least have respect to my injunctions and take some pains to curb it before him may i go asked jemima chafing more and more you may said her father when she left the room he gently rubbed his hands together satisfied with the effect he had produced and wondering how it was that one so well brought up as his daughter could ever say or do anything to provoke such a remark from mr farquhar as that which he heard repeated nothing can be more gentle and docile than she is when spoken to in the proper manner i must give farquhar a hint said mr bradshaw to himself jemima rushed upstairs and locked herself into her room she began pacing up and down at first without shedding a tear but then she suddenly stopped and burst out crying with passionate indignation so i am to behave well not because it is right not because it is right but to show off before mr farquhar oh mr farquhar said she suddenly changing to a sort of upbraiding tone of voice i did not think so of you an hour ago it i did not think you could choose a wife in that cold-hearted way though you did profess to act by rule and line but you think to have me do you because it is fitting and suitable and do you want to be married and can't spare time for wooing she was lashing herself up by an exaggeration of all her father had said and how often i have thought you were too grand for me but now i know better now i can believe that all you do is done from calculation you are good because it adds to your business credit you talk in that high strain about principle because it sounds well and is respectable and even these things are better than your cold way of looking out for a wife just as you would do for a carpet to add to your comforts and settle you respectably but i won't be that wife you shall see something of me which shall make you not acquiesce so quietly in the arrangements of the firm she cried too vehemently to go on thinking or speaking then she stopped and said only an hour ago i was hoping i don't know what i was hoping but i thought oh how i was deceived i thought he had a true deep loving manly heart which god might let me win but now i know he has only a calm calculating head if jemima had been vehement and passionate before this conversation with her father 
it was better than the sullen reserve she assumed now whenever Mr. Farquhar came to the house. He felt it deeply. No reasoning with himself took off the pain he experienced. He tried to speak on the subjects she liked, in the manner she liked, until he despised himself for the unsuccessful efforts. He stood between her and her father once or twice, in obvious inconsistency with his own previously expressed opinions, and Mr. Bradshaw piqued himself upon his admirable management, in making Jemima feel that she owed his indulgence or forbearance to Mr. Farquhar's interference. But Jemima, perverse, miserable Jemima, thought that she hated Mr. Farquhar all the more. She respected her father, inflexible, much more than her father, pompously giving up to Mr. Farquhar's subdued remonstrances on her behalf. Even Mr. Bradshaw was perplexed, and shut himself up to consider how Jemima was to be made more fully to understand his wishes and her own interests. But there was nothing to take hold of as a ground for any further conversation with her. Her actions were so submissive that they were spiritless. She did all her father desired. She did it with a nervous quickness and haste, if she thought that otherwise Mr. Farquhar would interfere in any way. She wished, evidently, to owe nothing to him. She had begun by leaving the room when he came in, after the conversation she had had with her father, but at Mr. Bradshaw's first expression of his wish that she should remain, she remained, silent, indifferent, inattentive to all that was going on. At least there was this appearance of inattention. She would work away at her sewing as if she were to earn her livelihood by it. The light was gone out of her eyes as she lifted them up heavily before replying to any question, and the eyelids were often swollen with crying. But in all this there was no positive fault. Mr. Bradshaw could not have told her not to do this, or to do that, without her doing it, for she had become much more docile of late. It was a wonderful proof of the influence Ruth had gained in the family that Mr. Bradshaw, after much deliberation, congratulated himself on the wise determination he had made of requesting her to speak to Jemima and find out what feeling was at the bottom of all this change in her ways of going on. He rang the bell. "'Is Mrs. Denby here?' he inquired of the servant who answered it. "'Yes, sir, she has just come.' beg her to come to me in this room as soon as she can leave the young ladies. Ruth came. Sit down, Mrs. Denby, sit down. I want to have a little conversation with you. Not about your pupils. They are going on well under your care, I am sure, and I often congratulate myself on the choice I made. I assure you I do. But now I want to speak to you about Jemima. She is very fond of you, and perhaps you could take an opportunity of observing to her, in short, of saying to her, that she is behaving very foolishly, in fact, disgusting Mr. Farquhar, who was, I know, inclined to like her, by the sullen, sulky way she behaves in when he is by. He paused for the ready acquiescence he expected but Ruth did not quite comprehend what was required of her, 
and disliked the glimpse she had gained of the task very much. "'I hardly understand, sir. You are displeased with Miss Bradshaw's manners to Mr. Farquhar?' "'Well, well, not quite that. I am displeased with her manners. They are sulky and abrupt, particularly when he is by, and I want you, of whom she is so fond, to speak to her about it. But I have never had the opportunity of noticing them. Whenever I have seen her, she has been most gentle and affectionate. But I think you do not hesitate to believe me when I say that I have noticed the reverse.' said Mr. Bradshaw, drawing himself up. "'No, sir, I beg your pardon if I had expressed myself so badly as to seem to doubt, but am I to tell Miss Bradshaw that you have spoken of her faults to me?' asked Ruth, a little astonished, and shrinking more than ever from the proposed task. "'If you would allow me to finish what I have got to say, without interruption,' I could tell you what I do wish. I beg your pardon, sir, said Ruth gently. I wish you to join our circle occasionally in an evening. Mrs. Bradshaw shall send you an invitation when Mr. Farquhar is likely to be here. Warned by me, and consequently with your observation quickened, you can hardly fail to notice instances of what I had pointed out, and then I will trust to your own good sense." Mr. Bradshaw bowed to her at this part of his sentence, to find an opportunity to remonstrate with her. Ruth was beginning to speak, but he waved his hand for another minute of silence. "'Only a minute, Mrs. Denby. I am quite aware that in requesting your presence occasionally in the evening I shall be trespassing upon the time which is, in fact, your money.' You may be assured that I shall not forget this little circumstance, and you can explain what I have said on this head to Benson and his sister. I am afraid I cannot do it, Ruth began, but while she was choosing words delicate enough to express her reluctance to act as he wished, he had almost bowed her out of the room, and thinking that she was modest in her estimate of her qualifications for remonstrating with his daughter, he added blandly, "'No one so able, Mrs. Denby. I have observed many qualities in you, observed when, perhaps, you have little thought it.' If he had observed Ruth that morning, he would have seen an absence of mind and depression of spirits not much to her credit as a teacher, for she could not bring herself to feel that she had any right to go into the family purposely to watch over and find fault with any one member of it. If she had seen anything wrong in Jemima, Ruth loved her so much that she would have told her of it in private, and with many doubts, how far she was the one to pull out the moat from any one's eye, even in the most tender manner she would have had to conquer reluctance before she could have done even this. But there was something indefinably repugnant to her in the manner of acting which Mr. Bradshaw had proposed, and she determined not to accept the invitations which were to place her in so false a position. But as she was leaving the house, 
after the end of the lessons, while she stood in the hall, tying on her bonnet, and listening to the last small confidences of her two pupils, she saw Jemima coming in through the garden door, and was struck by the change in her looks. The large eyes, so brilliant once, were dim and clouded, the complexion sallow and colourless, a lowering expression was on the dark brow, and the corners of her mouth drooped as with sorrowful thoughts. She looked up, and her eyes met Ruth's. "'Oh, you beautiful creature!' thought Jemima, with your still, calm, heavenly face. What are you to know of earth's trials? You have lost your beloved by death, but that is a blessed sorrow. The sorrow I have pulls me down and down, and makes me despise and hate every one. Not you, though.' and her face changing to a soft tender look she went up to ruth and kissed her fondly as if it were a relief to be near some one on whose true pure heart she relied ruth returned the caress and even while she did so she suddenly rescinded her resolution to keep clear of what mr bradshaw had desired her to do on her way home she resolved if she could to find out what were Jemima's secret feelings, and if, as if from some previous knowledge, she suspected they were morbid and exaggerated in any way, to try and help her write with all the wisdom which true love gives. It was time that someone should come to still the storm in Jemima's turbulent heart, which was daily and hourly knowing less and less of peace. The irritating difficulty was to separate the two characters, which at two different times she had attributed to Mr. Farquhar, the old one, which she had formerly believed to be true, that he was a man acting up to a high standard of lofty principle, and acting up without a struggle, and this last had been the circumstance which had made her rebellious and irritable once. The new one, which her father had excited in her suspicious mind, that Mr. Farquhar was cold and calculating in all he did, and that she was to be transferred by the former, and accepted by the latter, as a sort of stock in trade. These were the two Mr. Farquhars who clashed together in her mind, and in this state of irritation and prejudice she could not bear the way in which he gave up his opinions to please her. That was not the way to win her. She liked him far better when he inflexibly and rigidly adhered to his idea of right and wrong, not even allowing any force to temptation and hardly any grace to repentance, compared with that beauty of holiness which had never yielded to sin. He had been her idol in those days, as she found out now, however much at the time she had opposed him with violence. As for Mr. Farquhar, he was almost weary of himself. No reasoning, even no principle, seemed to have influence over him, for he saw that Jemima was not at all what he approved of in woman. He saw her uncurbed and passionate, affecting to despise the rules of life he held most sacred and indifferent to, if not positively disliking, him, and yet he loved her dearly. But he resolved to make a great effort of will 
and break loose from these trammels of sense, and while he resolved some old recollection would bring her up, hanging on his arm, in all the confidence of early girlhood, looking up in his face with her soft dark eyes, and questioning him upon the mysterious subjects which had so much interest for both of them at that time, although they had become only matter for dissension in these later days. It was also true, as Mr. Bradshaw had said, Mr. Farquhar wished to marry, and had not much choice in the small town of Eccleston. He never put this so plainly before himself as a reason for choosing Jemima, as her father had done to her, but it was an unconscious motive all the same. However, now he had lectured himself into the resolution to make a pretty long absence from Eccleston, and see if, amongst his distant friends, there was no woman more in accordance with his ideal who could put the naughty, willful, plaguing Jemima Bradshaw out of his head if he did not soon perceive some change in her for the better. A few days after Ruth's conversation with Mr. Bradshaw, the invitation she had been expecting, yet dreading, came. It was to her alone. Mr. and Miss Benson were pleased at the compliment to her, and urged her acceptance of it. She wished that they had been included. She had not thought it right or kind to Jemima to tell them why she was going and she feared now lest they should feel a little hurt that they were not asked too. But she need not have been afraid. They were glad and proud of this attention to her, and never thought of themselves. "'Ruthie, what gown shall you wear to-night? Your dark grey one, I suppose?' asked Miss Benson. "'Yes, I suppose so. I never thought of it, but that is my best.' "'Well, then, I shall quill up a ruff for you. You know I am a famous quiller of net.' Ruth came downstairs with a little flush on her cheeks when she was ready to go. She held her bonnet and shawl in her hand, for she knew Miss Benson and Sally would want to see her dressed. "'Is not Mamma pretty?' asked Leonard, with a child's pride. "'She looks very nice and tidy,' said Miss Benson, who had an idea that children should not talk or think about beauty. "'I think my ruff looks so nice,' said Ruth, with gentle pleasure." and indeed it did look nice, and set off the pretty round throat most becomingly. Her hair, now grown long and thick, was smoothed as close to her head as its waving nature would allow, and plaited up in a great rich knot low down behind. The grey gown was as plain as plain could be. "'You should have light gloves, Ruth,' said Miss Benson. She went upstairs, and brought down a delicate pair of limerick ones, which had been long treasured up in a walnut shell. "'They say them gloves is made of chicken skins,' said Sally, examining them curiously. "'I wonder how they set about skinning em. "'Here, Ruth,' said Mr. Benson, coming in from the garden, "'here's a rose or two for you. I am sorry there are no more. I hoped I should have had my yellow rose out by this time, but the damask and the white are in a warmer corner and have got the start. Miss Benson and Leonard stood at the door and watched her down the little passage street till she was out of sight. She had hardly touched the bell at Mr. Bradshaw's door when Mary and Elizabeth opened it with boisterous glee. "'We saw you coming. We've been watching for you. We want you to come round the garden before tea.' 
papa is not come in yet do come she went round the garden with a little girl clinging to each arm it was full of sunshine and flowers and this made the contrast between it and the usual large family room which fronted the northeast and therefore had no evening sun to light up its cold drab furniture more striking than usual it looked very gloomy there was the great dining-table heavy and square the range of chairs straight and square the work-boxes useful and square the colouring of walls and carpets and curtains all of the coldest description everything was handsome and everything was ugly mrs bradshaw was asleep in her easy-chair when they came in jemima had just put down her work and lost in thought she leaned her cheek on her hand when she saw ruth she brightened a little and went to her and kissed her mrs bradshaw jumped up at the sound of their entrance and was wide awake in a moment oh i thought your father was here said she evidently relieved to find that he had not come in and caught her sleeping thank you mrs denby for coming to us to-night said she in the quiet tone in which she generally spoke in her husband's absence when he was there a sort of constant terror of displeasing him made her voice sharp and nervous the children knew that many a thing passed over by their mother when their father was away was sure to be noticed by her when he was present and noticed too in a cross and querulous manner for she was so much afraid of the blame which on any occasion of their misbehaviour fell upon her and yet she looked up to her husband with a reverence and regard and a faithfulness of love which his decision of character was likely to produce on a weak and anxious mind he was a rest and a support to her on whom she cast all her responsibilities she was an obedient unremonstrating wife to him no stronger affection had ever brought her duty into conflict with any desire of her heart she loved her children dearly though they all perplexed her very frequently her son was her especial darling because he was very seldom brought her into any scrapes with his father he was so cautious and prudent and had the art of keeping a calm so about any difficulty he might be in with all her dutiful sense of the obligation which her husband forced upon her to notice and tell him everything that was going wrong in the household and especially among his children mrs bradshaw somehow contrived to be honestly blind to a good deal that was not praiseworthy in master richard mr bradshaw came in before long bringing with him mr farquhar jemima had been talking to ruth with some interest before then but on seeing mr farquhar she bent her head down over her work went a little paler and then turned obstinately silent mr bradshaw longed to command her to speak but even he had a suspicion that what she might say when so commanded might be rather worse in its effect than her gloomy silence so he held his peace and a discontented angry kind of peace it was mrs bradshaw saw that something was wrong but could not tell what 
only she became every moment more trembling and nervous and irritable, and sent Mary and Elizabeth off on all sorts of contradictory errands to the servants, and made the tea twice as strong and sweetened it twice as much as usual, in hopes of pacifying her husband with good things. Mr. Farquhar had gone for the last time, or so he thought. He had resolved, for the fifth time, that he would go and watch Jemima once more, and if her temper got the better of her, and she showed the old sullenness again, and gave the old proofs of indifference to his good opinion, he would give her up altogether and seek a wife elsewhere. He sat watching her with folded arms and in silence. Altogether they were a pleasant family party. Jemima wanted to wind a skein of wool. Mr. Farquhar saw it and came to her, anxious to do her this little service. She turned away pettishly and asked Ruth to hold it for her. Ruth was hurt for Mr. Farquhar and looked sorrowfully at, at Jemima, but Jemima would not see her glance of upbraiding, as Ruth, hoping that she would relent, delayed a little to comply with her request. Mr. Farquhar did, and went back to his seat to watch them both. He saw Jemima, turbulent and stormy in look. He saw Ruth, to all appearance, heavenly calm as the angels, or with only that little tinge of sorrow which her friend's behavior had called forth. He saw the unusual beauty of her face and form, which he had never noticed before, and he saw Jemima, with all the brilliancy she once possessed in eyes and complexion, dimmed and faded. He watched Ruth, speaking low and soft to the little girls, who seemed to come to her in every difficulty, and he remarked her gentle firmness when their bedtime came, and they pleaded to stay up longer. Their father was absent in his counting-house, or they would have not dared to do so. He liked Ruth's soft, distinct, unwavering, No, you must go, you must keep to what is right, far better than the good-natured yielding to entreaty he had formerly admired in Jemima. He was wandering off into this comparison, while Ruth, with delicate and unconscious tact, was trying to lead Jemima into some subject which should take her away from the thoughts, whatever they were, that made her so ungracious and rude. Jemima was ashamed of herself before Ruth, in a way which she had never been before any one else. She valued Ruth's good opinion so highly that she dreaded lest her friend should perceive her faults. She put a check upon herself, a check at first, but after a little time she had forgotten something of her trouble, and listened to Ruth, and questioned her about Leonard, and smiled at his little witticisms, and only the sighs that would come up from the very force of habit brought back the consciousness of her unhappiness. Before the end of the evening Jemima had allowed herself to speak to Mr. Farquhar in the old way, questioning, differing, disputing. She was recalled to the remembrance of that miserable conversation by the entrance of her father. After that she was silent, but he had seen her face more animated and bright with a smile as she spoke to Mr. Farquhar, and although he regretted the loss of her complexion, for she was still very pale. He was highly pleased with the success of his project. 
he never doubted but that ruth had given her some sort of private exhortation to behave better he could not have understood the pretty art with which by simply banishing unpleasant subjects and throwing a wholesome natural sunlit tone over others ruth had insensibly drawn jemima out of her gloom he resolved to buy mrs denby a handsome silk gown the very next day he did not believe she had a silk gown poor creature he had noticed that dark grey stuff this long long time as her sunday dress he liked the colour the silk one should be just the same tinge then he thought that it would perhaps be better to choose a lighter shade one which might be noticed as different to the old gown for he had no doubt she would like to have it remarked and perhaps would not object to tell people that it was a present from mr bradshaw a token of his approbation he smiled a little to himself as he thought of this additional source of pleasure to ruth she in the meantime was getting up to go home while jemima was lighting the bed-candle at the lamp ruth came round to bid good-night mr bradshaw could not allow her to remain till the morrow uncertain whether he was satisfied or not good-night mrs denby said he good-night thank you i am obliged to you i am exceedingly obliged to you he laid emphasis on these words for he was pleased to see mr farquhar step forward to help jemima in her little office mr farquhar offered to accompany ruth home but the streets that intervened between mr bradshaw's and the chapel-house were so quiet that he desisted when he learned from ruth's manner how much she disliked his proposal mr bradshaw too instantly observed oh mrs denby need not trouble you farquhar i have servants at liberty at any moment to attend to her if she wishes it in fact he wanted to make hay while the sun shone and to detain mr farquhar a little longer now that jemima was so gracious she went upstairs with ruth to help her put on her things dear jemima said ruth i am so glad to see you looking better to-night you quite frightened me this morning you looked so ill did i replied jemima oh ruth i have been so unhappy lately i want you to come and put me to rights she continued half smiling you know i'm a sort of out-pupil of yours though we are so nearly of an age you ought to lecture me and make me good should i dear said ruth i don't think i'm the one to do it oh yes you are you've done me good to-night well if i can do anything for you tell me what it is asked ruth tenderly oh not now not now replied jemima i could not tell you here it's a long story and i don't know that i can tell you at all mamma might come up at any moment and papa would be sure to ask what we had been talking about so long take your own time love said ruth only remember as far as i can how glad i am to help you you're too good my darling said jemima fondly don't say so replied ruth earnestly almost as if she were afraid god knows i am not well we're none of us too good answered jemima i know that but you are very good nay i won't call you so if it makes you look so miserable but come away downstairs with the fragrance of ruth's sweetness lingering about her jemima was her best self during the next half hour mr bradshaw was more and more pleased and raised the price of the silk which he was going to give to ruth sixpence a yard during the time
Mr. Farquhar went home through the garden-way, happier than he had been this long time. He even caught himself humming the old refrain, On revient, on revient, toujours à ses premiers amours. But as soon as he was aware of what he was doing, he cleared away the remnants of the song into a cough, which was sonorous, if not perfectly real. End of chapter 20